Peter Hill Explains, where I invite you to join the science teaching conversation with me about... Episode 4 of Thomas Henry Huxley. And uh, it sort of says something that the understanding Huxley removes some of the mystiques uh, behind the creation of professional science. Professional science wants to have its roots in ancient world and not in the ideas of a highly creative person who created nature, uh, took over, saw the Royal Society, took it over, redirected it to become more professional, changed it from a gentleman's club to a much more dynamic, cunning uh, organisation. So he's basically a very cunning man. And it is interesting that uh, we, d- we hear so little of it. And it's only by chance that I've said, look, I... This is, this is, he's quite an interesting character. I've got to get to understand him more. And then I was absolutely shocked. Uh, the actual uh, father of the agnostic scientific belief saying that as a true scientist, you just really don't even address the issue of religion, sort of sidestepping it, a beautiful debating point, uh, point to come across, uh, a debater as well as that. But he's ultimately an experimentalist. One of the, um, if I can't observe it, I'm not going to make a speculative uh, conclusion, whereas speculation um, and subsequent testing and vaulting forward uh, uh, induction is the actual root of of creative science. He he was from a different age, so to speak, uh, but it's very interesting that our current age don't, doesn't have very much about him. Okay, now um, we've got uh, him uh, that uh, he was basically a necrologist. He tended to uh, he wanted to study biology, bio being life, but he doesn't. He didn't actually want anything to be alive and get behaviour. However, he did actually see uh, the idea of natural selection as a process by which uh, you could even get um, not not natural selection, but you can also get um, uh, the idea of Dawkins' idea of memes, the idea of um, that there's different components and they survive in an environment and the environment produces ideas which are self-sustaining like religion is an organism uh, a parasite par- i suppose a parasite organism now we're going to continue now there is um it's sort of like this fated pair between new science emerging darwin doing the thinking and then huxley when you actually have to think of it he has to actually be a sound experimentalist to actually It'd be that wedge to actually slowly push back uh, religion. So it was religion versus evolution. And as they were two comparative religions, they couldn't work. Huxley came across and did uh, founding nature and uh, uh, founding the idea of the club. I think, is it Club X? The club X, obviously, unfortunately, now is a, I think... Um, a por- pornography place, so you can't use Club X anymore. Uh, but the actual idea is pretty amazing. Now, I'll read on from him. Since Darwin, Wallace and Bates did not hold teaching posts at any stage of their adult careers, and Muller never turned returned from Brazil, uh, the imbalance in Huxley's program went uncorrected. It sh- is surely strange that Huxley's courses did not contain an account of the evidence collected by those naturalists of life in the tropics, evidence which they found so convincing, and which caused their views on evolution by natural selection to be so similar. Now, it is interesting that uh, 
that Muller are not returning from uh, Brazil. Um, Adrian Desmond suggests that biology had to be simple, synthetic, admissible, uh, because it was to train teachers and had no other heuristic function. That must be part of the reason. Indeed, it does not help to explain the selfifying nature of uh, the school, much school biology. But zoology, as taught at all levels, became far too much the product of one man, which is sort of pretty much much interesting. Uh, and this is like he introduced the idea of school science, but in the same time condemned it to boring. Schools and the Bible. Huxley was the first major influence in the direction taken by British schools. In November 1870, he was voted to the London School Board. In primary schooling, he advocated a wide range of disciplines similar to what's taught today, reading, writing, arithmetic, art, science, music. In secondary education, he recommended two years of basic liberal studies, followed by two years um, of some upper division work focusing on more specific area studies. A practical example of the latter... Um, is his famous uh, 1868 lecture on a piece of chalk, which he first published as an essay in Macmillan's magazine in London later that year. The piece reconstructs the geological history of um, Britain from a simple piece of chalk and demonstrates the science uh, as organised common sense, which is that beautiful idea. Now, I have a piece of chalk, and in the hands of a Bible you get waffle the hands of a scientist to get something else. Huxley supported reading of the Bible in schools. This may seem out of step with his uh, agnostic convictions, but he believed the Bible's significant moral teaching and a superb use of language were relevant to English life. Quote, I do not advocate burning your ship to get rid of the cockroaches. However, uh, what Huxley proposed was to create an edited version of the Bible. Shorn of the shortcomings and errors, statements to which men and science absolutely and entirely demur. These tender children should not be taught that which you do, uh, not yourself believes. And I really... Is that, that not a basic statement? So you, you have a whole lot of people beginning to edit in the Enlightenment. You have uh, Jefferson Bible, uh, where he edits it down. The Americans edit the Bible down. Starts to, to go down. But essentially... Uh, Jonah was not in a whale. If I if I think that's not true, I really shouldn't teach this. The board voted against the, uh, his idea, but it also voted against the idea of public money should be used to support students attending church schools. Vigorous debate took place at, on such points, and the debates were uh, minuted into Huxley said, I will never be party to enabling the state to sweep the children of this country into denominational schools. The Act of Parliament, which founded the Board of Schools, permitted the reading of the Bible, but did not permit any denominational, denominational doctrine to be taught. Isn't that beautiful? Uh, here in Australia, we've got infiltration, sort of corruption and infiltration, uh, and chaplains, the state's funding chaplains at state schools, funding religious ceremonies, funding religion. In fact, so much so that in the COVID crisis, um, uh, the number of church goes go down, they get ten, twenty dollars less, uh, less um, money in the plate. They've been able to sweep up and say those people, uh, the priests, can now get three thousand dollars extra a week from, uh, or sorry, a, a fortnight, whatever it is, the um, job keeper allowance, and so 
there are the the power of the church is almost unstoppable the um uh, the pentecostals have actually a direct the uh, prime minister is a pentecostal and so for such things if a piece of legislation goes against the pentecostal desire it doesn't go through so our shutdowns were delayed in australia for a few days to allow a pentecostal meeting to go ahead that gives you the idea of how endemic it is here uh, now the problem is that if you are enabling religion you're not enabling clear thinking in science um, it may be right to see Huxley life and work as contributing to secularization of British society which gradually occurred over the following century Ernst Maher said quote it can hardly be doubted that biology has helped to undermine traditional beliefs and value systems and Huxley more than anyone else was responsible for this trend in Britain some modern Christian apologists consider Huxley as the father of anti-theism rather than agnosticism, though he himself maintained that he was agnostic, not an atheist. He was, however, a lifelong determined opponent of most all, almost all organised religions throughout his life, especially the Roman Catholic Church, calculated for the destruction of all that is highest in the moral nature, in intellectual freedom and the political freedom of mankind. I actually disagree with that, having read Jesuit philosophy myself, in terms of, but at the end of the day, there's that smug look, aha, we're just going off to be Christian anyway. In the same line of thought, um, but see, uh, I think, what is it, Bernard Lonergan and his insight, and that uh, we, a truth cannot, cannot stand a contradictory piece of information. Uh, it's just a bias. I think he said, um, um, uh, you either admit bias, either you admit bias and correct it, or if you leave it uncorrected, it's a roundabout way of saying that you are supporting a dogma. It's just beautiful, it's just a very roundabout way of saying what you're saying is a dogma and worthless. Okay. At the same time, as some have thought, in an article in Popular Science, Huxley used the expression the so-called Christianity of Catholicism, explaining, I say, so-called, not by the way of offence, but as a protest against the monstrous assumption that the Catholic Church's Christianity is explicitly or implicitly contained in any trustworthy record in the teaching of Jesus of Nazareth. This is sort of fair dinkum. Which is absolutely true, because if you look at the um, contract of Constantine and some key pillars which enables you to go forward, they are in fact indeed forgeries. They're not, it's not that they, they, they could have been written and we don't know where it comes from, we, they know conclusively that they are forgeries to manipulate the geopolitical situation in medieval Europe uh, and it's pretty amazing. Even though I, I, I don't really care very much but you know if you if one is to make a comment about this and actually have any historical credibility um uh you 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 would have to say that again sweeping aside historical facts is a roundabout way of saying um i'm not listening to you uh i have the ability to spend money, shoot, vote, 
live my life in a way offensive to science. Uh, in 1893, during the preparation for the second Romans le lecture, Huxley expressed his disappointment in the shortcomings of liberal theology, describing its doctrines as popular illusions, and the teachings they replaced, faulty as they are, appeared to be, to be vastly nearer the truth. Vladimir Ledin remarked in Materialism and Imperial Criticism, in Huxley's case, agnosticism serves as a fig leaf for for mat uh, materialism. Um, well, that's pretty amazing. It is, it's a beautiful use as a fig leaf. Um, I, I think it is a debating ploy to stop, stop the rot uh, and allow rational discussions to go. It, it, it's, it's a debating ploy. Adult education Huxley's interest in education went still further than school and university classroom. He made a great effort to reach interested adults of all kinds. After all, he himself was largely self-educated. Uh, there uh, were his lecture courses for working men, and many of which were published afterwards, and um, it was the use he made of journalism, partly to learn, earn money, uh, but mostly to reach out to the literate public. For most of his adult life, he wrote for periodics, the Westminster Review, the Saturday Review, the Reader, the Paul Mall Gazette, Millions Magazine, Contemporary Review. Germany was still ahead in formal science education, but interested people in Victoria and Britain could use their initiative to find out what was going on by reading periodicals and using uh, lending libraries. And uh, unfortunately, in Australia, that's what you're going to have to do. In 1868, Huxley became principal of the South London Working Men's College in Backfires Road, uh, the moving spirit for portmanteau worker W.N. Rochester, who did most of the work. The funds were put up mainly by F.D. Morris Christian Socialists. At sixpence a course and a penny for a lecture by Huxley, um, this was for some bargain, and so was the free library organised by... Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? Looking progressively older, but still a nice face, I suppose. College, an idea which was widely copied. Huxley thought and said that the men who attended the, uh, were as good as any country squire. The technique of printing his more popular lectures in periodicals, which were sold to the general public, was extremely effective. A good example, The Physical Basis of Life, a lecture given in Edinburgh on the 8th of November, 16. 1868, his theme, that vital action is nothing more than the result of molecular forces and protoplasm, which displays it, shocked the audience. Uh, Thoreau, that uh, was nothing compared to the uproar when he published the Fortnightly Review, uh, in the Fortnightly Review for February uh, 1869. Now, what I would say now is that the era of publishing is over and the era of the new book which is the social uh, the technologically enabled social robot is the next generation to get out there uh, it will will get it out there um john morley the editor said quote no article had appeared in any periodical for a generation that caused such a sensation this issue was reprinted seven times and protoplasm became the household word punch added professor protoplasm uh, to other uh, sorbets 
What does protoplasm mean? I don't really quite know. The topic had been stimulated by Huxley seeing a cytoplasmic streaming in a plant cell. Can I see? This is this is pretty amazing. If you look in a plant cell, you can actually see the uh, the um, uh, the uh, what is it? Chlorophylls swim around. You know, what more can you go? Uh, for this audience, um, Huxley's claim that this activity should not be explained by words such as vitality, but as a working constituents of chemicals, was surprising and shocking. Today, we would perhaps emphasise the extraordinary structural arrangement of those chemicals as the key to understanding what cells do. But little of that was known in the 19th century. Dare I say, this is where the understanding... If you take from a child quantum physics, you take from the child the understanding of life itself, you know... You make the child a slave to your morals if you don't if you don't give them quantum physics. When the Archbishop of York thought this quote, new philosophy was based on Augustus Comte's positivism, Huxley corrected him, Comte's philosophy is just Catholicism minus Christianity. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, that's beautiful. A later version uh, was positivism is sheer popery uh, with Mr. Comte in its chair of Saint Peter and. Uh, with the names of the saints change, uh, which is pretty ma- amazing because Compte is the, the written in that little banner across the world in that map of Brazil. Um, Huxley's 1870 lay sermons, addresses and reviews. Huxley's dismissal of positivism damaged it so severely that Compte's ideas were withered in Britain. So uh, this is thing I want Richard Owen and Compte. Huxley and the Humanities. During his life, and especially in the last ten years after retirement, Huxley wrote on many issues relating to the humanities. Perhaps the best known is the topics is the evolution and ethics, which deals with the question of whether biology has anything particular to say about moral philosophy. Both Huxley and his grandson, Julian Huxley, gave romance lectures on this theme. For a start, Huxley dismisses religion as a source of moral authority. Next, he believes the mental characteristics of man are as much a product of evolution as the physical aspect. Thus, our emotions, our intellect, our tendency to prefer living in groups, spend resources on raising our young, are part and parcel of our evolution and therefore inherited. Despite this, the details of our values and ethics are not inherited. They are partly determined by our culture, partly chosen by ourselves. Morality and duty are often at war with natural instincts. Ethics cannot be derived from the struggle for existence. Quote, of moral purpose I see not a trace in nature. That is an article of exclusive human manufacture. It's therefore our responsibility to make ethical choices. It's really, I, I, I can't see how, um, if you say, if, if I enter a position and I need to make an ethical the best ethical judgment I need maths it's actually it behoves you to be an ethical person to be mathematical to be scientific you can't just say I'm not I know there's going to be an ethical position going up I can't be stuffed doing maths and when I get up there, I go, oh, I don't know. Well, get out of the way. Let someone who does have maths stand in that position and make 
a proper decision. That's that's what I would say. I, I just the 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 slackness with which people take not being able to do maths, the way they apologise, it's sort of like writing it off. It's sort of like I don't know, shitting in your pants. Oh, I've shitted in my pants. I never learnt to toilet train. Guess I'm stinking my life through. I just oh, okay. Uh, now Rousseau. Now remember Rousseau um, is. Uh, I, I read about him. He's a pa- 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 uh, guy and um, his Rousseau is about essentially being nice. I can't remember what he said. Huxley's dissection of Rousseau's view on man and society is another example of his latter work. The essay undermines Rousseau's idea that man has a uh, preliminary to undermining his ideas on the ownership of property. That is, yeah, I think he said that we don't need property. Mm, I don't know what we say. Characteristic, the doctrine that all men are, in any sense, or have been at any time free and equal, is utterly baseless fiction. Yeah, I think, I think one of the important things is that um, the... I, the discovery of agriculture wouldn't work unless we discovered slavery in agriculture. We domesticated animals. Then, to domesticate a plant, we have to have a domesticated human, which is, is there. So, Rousseau is uh, all things equal. I really have to read it again. Huxley's method of argumentation, his strategy and tactics, persuasion, speech and print. Himself as much studied. His career included controversial debates with scientists, clerics, politicians, persuasive discussions with the royal commissions and other public bodies, lectures and articles for the general public, a mass of detailed letter writing to friends and other correspondents. A large number of textbooks have exerted his uh, prose uh, for anthologies. Yeah, I really want to, to go. Huxley worked on ten royal and other commissions, titles somewhat shortened here. The Royal Commission is a senior investigative forum in the British Constitution. A rough analysis shows that five commissions involve science and scientific education, three involve medicine, three involve fisheries, and several involve uh, ethical and legal issues. A deal with possible changes to law and administrative practice. So they've got there. Uh, the Royal Commission trawling for herrings off the coast of Scotland and a family to go across... Um, in 1855, he married Henrietta Anne Hethborn, an English emigre uh, whom he had met in Sydney, Australia. Oh, isn't that beautiful? Uh, they kept correspondence until he was able to send for him. They had five daughters and three sons. Isn't that lovely? He met someone and just... Um, Huxley's relationship with his relatives and children were genial by the standard of the day, so long as they lived their lives in an honourable manner in uh, which some did not. After his mother, his eldest sister Lizzie, the most important person in his life until his own marriage, he remained on good terms with his children, more than could be said for many Victorian fathers. His excerpt of a letter to Jessie, his elder daughter, is full of affection. Which is actually quite, quite mad. Unfortunately, I wish... I'm really going to have to reread Rousseau again to, to get it ahead. Rousseau, Comte... Richard Owen, oh, just keep on going, I can't do it. Uh, this is from uh, Huxley. Dearest Jess, you are a badly used young person. You are, and nothing short of a conviction would get 
a litter out of you still worse uh, used pattern. The bit wire of whose existence is a letter writing. Catch me discussing the Afghan question with you, you little pepper pot. No, if uh, not, I know it goes on nevertheless uh, to give a strong opinions about the Afghans at the time, causing plenty of trouble to the British Raj. Uh, there, there, you plague uh, ever your affectionate daddy. Uh, I'm not allowed to, uh, dear. Huxley's descendants include Lenatech Huxley, Julian Alias Huxley. Um, okay, that's 19. And go on. Sir Andrew Huxley, Nobel Prize for Physiology and Medicine, 63. Uh, one other significance of Huxley's, uh, Sir Crispin Tickle, uh, are treated. Uh, are treated in the Huxley family. Mental problems in the family. Biographers have sometimes noted the occurrence of mental illness in the Huxley family. His father became sunk in worse than childish imbecility of mind and later died at Birmingham Asylum. His a brother suffered from extreme mental anxiety and died in 18, 1863, leaving serious debts. Brother James, his well-known psychiatrist and superintendent of Kent Country Asylum, was at 55 as near mad as any sane man can be. And there is more. His favourite daughter, the artistically talented Mandy Merrion, who became the first wife of the artist John Collier, was troubled by mental illness for years. She died of pneumonia in her mid-twenties. About Huxley himself, we have a more complete record. As a young apprentice to a medical practitioner, aged 13 and 14, Huxley was taken to watch a post-mortem dissection. Afterwards, he sank into deep lethargy. And though Huxley ascribed this to dissection poisoning, Bibby and others may right to suspect an emotional shock precipitated the depression Huxley recuperated on the farm, looking thin and ill. Okay, so, um, one, you know, one, I, 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 in much as I, I hate the internet and hate society, we do have an ability to select and mould and catch and do things. The, the other thing is, I think, um, though we don't see acted out mental illness, I do think we have sort of um, abated mental illness. People who should be mentally ill go out and have a breakdown and self they're sort of kept going in a self-destructed mode. So I, I do think we have mentally ill people, but these mentally ill people become um, oh, pathological uh, sociopaths and instead of being mentally ill and, you know, out in the field just whacking the plough with a stick, they say, I think I'll be a manager. And they start to whack people. And guess what? They're rewarded for it. And it's sort of this mental illness becomes into a whole organisation. Okay, the next episode we know in Huxley's life is when he suffered a dilapidating depression was on the third voyage of the HMS Rattlestate. Huxley had further periods of depression at the end of his um, 1871 and again in 1873. Finally, in 1884, he sank into another depression. At this time, participated in his decision to retire in 1885 at the age of 60. This was enough to indicate um, the way depression or perhaps moderate bipolar disorder inf interfered with his life. Yet unlike someone of the family members, he was able to function extremely well at other times. 
which is interesting. This is um, in the, the the way of a lively, forceful personality. Is he mad? Uh, the problems continued sporadically into the third generation. Two of Leonard's sons suffered serious depression. Tevin committed suicide. Julian suffered a breakdown in 13 and five more later in his life. Five more later in his life. Satires. Darwin's ideas and Huxley's controversy gave rise to many cartoons and satires. It was the debate about man's place in nature which arouses widespread comment. Cartoons are so numerous as to be almost impossible to count. Darwin's head as a monkey body is one of the, the visual cachets of the age. The great hippo, uh, hippocampus question attracted particular attention. Um... Okay, so Machiania, a sign gorilla, is one of, uh, turned out to be uh, Sir Philip Elkerton's, Egerton's MP's amateur naturalist fossil fish collector, Richard Owen's patron. Uh, the last two stanzas include a reference to Huckley's comment, Life is too short uh, to occupy oneself with saying uh, the slaying of the slain more than once. Isn't that beautiful? that once I have dealt with someone and this is one of the great things is that it's like this you just knock them down you knock them down and they get back up again a true idiot does not know when they're beaten next Huxley replies that Owen he lies and garbles his Latin quotation in that, that his facts are now not new his mistakes not a few detrimental to his reputation to twice uh, slay the slam by dint of the brain, this Huxley concludes his review in his labour in vain, unproductive of game, and so I shall bid you adieu. Whatever it doesn't mean, this is rubbish. Gorilla's Dilemma, first two lines. Say I are a man, or a brother, or only an anthropoid ape. Report the sad case recently retired to Lord Mayor Owen versus Huxley. Lord Mayor asks whether either side is uh, either side is shown to the police. Policeman X, Huxley, Your Worship, I take uh, to be a young hand, very vicious, but Owen I have seen before. He got into trouble with the old bone man called Mantwell, who never could be off complaining as Owen perigged his bones. People say that the old man never got over it. Owen warranted him to death. But I don't think it was so bad as that. He is as Owen takes the chair at crib in Bloomsbury. I don't think it would be harmonic meeting altogether. And Huxley hangs out in Sherman Street. This really is that we now, this is complete garbage. We now have TikTok and YouTube to do the same job. Okay, Tom Huxley's low set included Hooker in the green and vegetable line and Charles Darwin in the pigeon fancy. Owen's crib in Bloomsbury was the British Museum, of which natural history was but one department. Jeremy Street is known for its shop of for men's clothing, possibly implying Huxley was a dandy. I do think so, and this is, this is where you do need it again. The Water Babies, a fairy tale for the land of baby in Charles Kingsley's serialised Macmillan magazine uh, 
1862 to 83, published in a book form with editions in 1863. Kingsley had been among the first to give a favourable review of Darwin on the origin of species, having, quote, long since learnt to disbelieve the dogma and the permanence of species, and a story includes a satire on the reaction to Darwin's theory, with the main scientific presence appearing, including Richard Owen and Huxley. In 1892... Thomas Henry Huxley's five-year-old grandson Julian saw the illustration by Edward Lindley Swinburne right and wrote to his grandfather to ask him, Dear Graham Patter, have you seen uh, a water baby? Um, did you put it in a bottle? Did you wonder uh, if it could get out? I could, could I see it someday? Your loving son Julian. So this is someone putting a water baby in. Huxley wrote back, My dear Julian, I would never make um, sure about that water baby. My friend who wrote the story for The Water Baby was a very kind man and very clever. Perhaps he thought I could see as much as the water as he did. There are some people who see a great deal and some who see very little in the same things. When you grow up, I dare you uh, will be one of the great deal seers and see things more wonderful than The Water Babies where other folks see nothing. Isn't that beautiful? That's 21 and 22. And so that's really the end of Huxley. That is, can you see more? And that, that is really, it's not about advancing. I don't think it's, a, life is about advancing man. I, I don't think we're going to, you know, if we build a bigger shopping centre, that's going to be out of date. But if we can actually build greater vision, that would be great if we can do it. another story comes to a close. It's been a pleasure sharing this moment in time with you. May you discover truly amazing things, understand them and tell others. Thanks for listening.